Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, uh, did you uh, enjoy the throttling that was Oklahoma State against Arkansas Pine Bluff? Uh, to tell you the truth, not really. It's not really my thing. Um, you know, I, I don't much feel like watching the uh, high school kids go go pick on the second graders, but it was it was a, a football game. It was a good little scrimmage. Uh, got to see some guys that we haven't seen. So uh, the more exciting part was probably the second half, some of the highlights, seeing some of the younger guys get out there. Uh, that's kind of what these games are for. Just see what you've got with the young guys and make sure you don't get anybody hurt. Yep, that's the most important thing. There was a lot of uh, exciting things to take away from this game. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about some of the other games nationally. And, of course, Oklahoma State will be on a bye this week. And then it's, then it's uh, into the Big 12 play against Baylor, which – they, they have an interesting matchup this weekend uh, against Iowa State. I, don't, I think they're underdogs in that game. That kind of surprised me when that point spread came out. Not a lot of respect for the Baylor Bears, Colby. They were underdogs at BYU, lost a close one in overtime, and now they're, I think they're underdogs against Iowa State. Yeah, it's weird. It's hard to do the transfer property in college football, right? Because you never know who's getting up for what game. But Baylor goes to BYU, gets beat in double overtime. BYU goes out, gets absolutely throttled by an Oregon team that didn't look super great early in the season. Granted, it was against Georgia, but they looked uh, very, very bad in that game. And now uh, I do not know what is going on with my uh, volume here. This always happens to me. Do have got to figure this out. You can't go to to ESPN. The autoplay will get you. It's always the autoplay. All right. It is is officially off. Uh, No, so Baylor – I think we're having a hard time judging what Baylor is. They got off to a slow start last week against, I think it was Texas State. Uh, I looked up and they were, it was like 14-7 or something, maybe late in the second quarter. They were just kind of struggling. So I don't know, maybe maybe we were looking a little bit too much at, at what Baylor had last year and trying to transition that to 2022. But they haven't, I, I'd say if there was one team in the Big 12 that has underwhelmed in the non-conference, it's probably Baylor. Them or maybe Kansas State losing to uh, Tulane. But, yeah, yeah, I think not good relative to expectations, I think you're right. I mean, Baylor, you know, picked by, by a lot of people to uh, win the league and certainly, you know, won it last year. But uh, let's get into the game. But first, let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Uh, Chris's uh, loyal sponsor of the pod. I Colby, should I make the Big Ten stink shirts? I have reached out to Chris's about this. Oh, is man. Are we going to buy these, or is this just like our loyal followers just tweeting at us during the game so they would buy one? That's a great question, because there's a big difference in sending a tweet saying, yeah, I'll buy that shirt, and actually going out and buying the shirt. Uh, I don't know. The Big Ten has started to get enough hate that I think I think just random passerbys on the street who don't listen to us pop in Chris's. I don't know. If you get a good little design, just kind of something simple with Big Ten stinks on it, the Big Ten stinks, I don't know. It, it might get some traction because the Big Ten, your Big Ten hate uh, that has trickled down to me now seems to be trickling down everywhere else as everyone starts to realize that it, it's just the two at the top and everybody else is a joke. We put it's garbage on the back or punting makes me want to puke. I feel like we have to have some sort of Oklahoma State tie-in on the back. I, yeah, I, it's garbage. struggling with. 
it's garbage might be good. Um, imagine you imagine your kid comes home and he's disappointed uh, because he plays in the Big Ten, something like that. That's pretty good. Uh, but yeah, I am toying with the idea. I'm just going to see what it, what that's going to cost and uh, if I will even like break even on that deal. But uh, I am toying with the idea. Thanks to the help of uh, Chris's and again, if you're in Stillwater, be sure to stop by Chris's. They'll hook you up with. Uh, some legit gear, and maybe, who knows, maybe some Big Ten Stinks t-shirts. Uh, all right, Colby, Oklahoma State, Arkansas Pine Bluff, we knew what this was going to be coming into it. I do think the way Oklahoma State started this game, they put the pedal to the metal, you know, throw deep on the first play of the game, get defensive pass interference, very next play, touchdown pass, boom, they're off and running. Um, I, I was encouraged again, Colby, like, just in an overall outlook on this this first half and looking at the offensive side of things, this looks like vintage, air it out, throw deep down the field, get receivers out in open space. Oklahoma State offense that, you know, made Oklahoma State famous, put them on the map with spread offense, high-scoring offense. And after a few years of, you know, kind of some ugly offensive football, it, it appears that no matter who the opponent is, Colby, they're going to they're gonna air it out. Now, will they be – airing it out as much as they were against Ar against Arkansas Pine Bluff, that they will against Baylor. I doubt it, but I just am really encouraged by the overall look of this offense. Yeah, I am too. And it seems to me just like a different level of trust for Spencer Sanders, a different level of confidence for Spencer Sanders, and not even specifically to, to the Arkansas Pine Bluff game. Because again, if Gunner plays the whole game, if Rangel plays the whole game, if, if I don't know, if Jaden Nixon has to start at quarterback and play the whole game, you're going to beat up on Arkansas Pine Bluff. But throughout the non-conference, I think we saw a, a, a series of uh, what I would call uh, just – good back and forth between the coaching staff and Spencer. It's like they, they have confidence in each other now. Spencer's running what needs to be run. The coaching staff is not scared to let Spencer do what he needs to do to go win a football game. It's much less, I don't know, just the feel of the offense, Carson. Last year very much felt like don't screw it up. That is what last year felt like for 14 games. Well, maybe not 14 games. Second half against Bedlam, Notre Dame game, they kind of took the training wheels off. But for a lot of that season, it felt like don't screw it up. And we're three games into the season, Carson, and, and there doesn't seem to be any hesitancy from the Oklahoma State coaching staff to just let Spencer Sanders go out and work. I, I think that they've just kind of it, – it's clicked for them. Hey, this guy is our best player at the end of the season, barring injury. He's going to be the winningest quarterback in school history. Is he perfect? No. Who is? Who is? Nobody. Nobody. But he is pretty darn good whenever you just let him go to work. Uh, and I think that we've seen a, a real trust from the coaching staff with him. So uh, very impressed with Spencer, impressed with the coaching staff. Uh, yeah, and against Pine Bluff, you just go out, boom, deep, 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 just kind of running through some of your plays. Uh, and I like that. He was 13 of 16, probably could have been 16 of 16. I think a couple of those were overthrows on those mid-range kind of 20-yard outs, uh, stuff like that. So, uh, again, wasn't perfect, but you just go out and let it sling against Pine Bluff. But throughout the non-conference, really liked what I saw from Spencer, from the staff. And Carson – I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it out loud and hope that I don't jinx anything. The offensive line looks as good as it has looked coming out of the non-conference in quite some time. They've been getting backups in. They've been rotating guys through. They've had seven, eight guys playing consistently the last three games, creating that offensive line depth. It, it's it's the, the thing that's not sexy to talk about when it's going right. When it's going wrong, everybody everybody knows. I mean, last year, what were we talking about after the non-con? That offensive line. Same thing the year before. Same thing the year before. This year, we're not talking about it because it's been good. 
So I think we need to give those guys a lot of credit because that is uh, something that encourages me more so than I thought it would coming out of the non-con. I'm a little more hesitant on the offensive line. Now look. Pass blocking, pass blocking. Okay. They, yeah, they've, they've pass blocked really well. I mean, Spencer hasn't been running for his life like he has in some past years. Uh, before I get to, I guess I'll hit on the offensive line since you brought it up. The, the run blocking to me is still a concern. I mean, Arkansas Pine Bluff was coming clean several times at, at Dominic Richardson. They only had 28 rushing yards in the first half, which again, they were doing whatever they wanted to Arkansas Pine Bluff through the air. So I'm not concerned about the overall numbers, but, um, and look, I've been wanting them to throw more for the several years. So I, I don't hate the way the offense looks. I am just concerned with the running game. I mean, they did have a good game against Arizona state. I, I will grant you. I just, I don't know. The jury's still out for me on the offensive line. Have they played well to this point? Yes. Uh, when, when the chips are down, they're playing Baylor. Can they, can they get a push on a, on a third and short? That that's what I'm concerned with is the run blocking. Sounds like you're not totally sold on that. You're just, you're, you're basically reiterating they've looked better than they have uh, over the past few years through non-conference. Yeah, it's more of a I'm more optimistic coming out of the 2022 non-con about the O-line than I have been in, in really quite some time because it's been almost borderline disastrous every year in the non-con where it's like, okay, how can they just piece this together with duct tape to keep guys upright long enough to win in the Big 12? And I don't feel that way this year. It, it, look, the conference non-conference schedule wasn't elite. Uh, you know, you got Arizona State looking for a coach now. But there were times in that game where Oklahoma State physically overpowered Arizona State at the line of scrimmage. Again, it, it's not the, the best opponent in the world. You're going to see probably seven or eight better in conference play. But it was the best opponent that you played in the non-con. So um, I, I think that they did what they needed to do. And I, I've seen improvement. And I'm, I'm optimistic about the depth. So uh, the run blocking, I'm not as optimistic about as the pass blocking, but I'm still not totally down on it because I think it's been, I think it's been fine. So uh, it's going to be much different whenever you take the field against Baylor. But I, I guess I would describe it as a cautious optimism. Well, it was a low bar considering the past few non-conference slates they've had on the offensive line due to injuries. and Couldn't run it against Missouri State, Carson. And overall poor play. Yeah, that, that might have been rock bottom. I mean, that or the, that Tulsa game, uh, it, was, it was brutal. Oh. Ugh. See, uh, see now, now you see my optimism because we didn't have a Missouri State or a Tulsa game this year. Well, yeah, they they literally aren't ghosts out there. Just, the defensive lines on it just walking through them to the quarterbacks. So that I guess that is concerning considering where they were just a few years ago. But uh, back to Spencer, uh, to reiterate your point about just the overall comfort level between not only himself and the offense, but with, with Casey Dunn, he's responsible for 13 touchdowns already this year. Through three games in the 2021 season, he had six. He didn't hit, hit 13 in 2021 until the seventh game of the year. And how about this? In 2020, he didn't reach 13 touchdowns until the, the bowl game against Miami. Wow. That just shows you how more, much more, not only comfort, not, 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 not so much how much more the comfort level is, but the productivity, the, the, the points they're putting on the board. I mean, th- this offense, Colby, looks amazing. Now, again, we, we know the competition is going to get much tougher, but this, I think Spencer's really becoming, and I've said this prior, but it, it really hit home against a team where it could be a sleepy environment. You can try and, do, try and do too many things. I thought he was dialed in, and he just he's becoming the quarterback we all hoped he could be. Now, I, Colby, I don't know about you, but 
I still think he takes too many shots in the running game. He needs to get down quicker. I think we're going to be talking about that until his career is over with. He he took some unnecessary shots. But just his overall command and just how explosive he is individually, and then you you account for the uh, the skill talent around him. I mean, sky's the limit for this dude. I I want to share some some stats here that uh, Kyle Boone tweeted out. He posted a graphic with – Spencer's numbers compared to the Caleb Williams, Bryce Young, C.J. Strouds of the world. He's got more passing yards than all of them except Stroud, only about 30 yards behind him. He's second in touchdowns, only has one pick. Uh, He's got the most rushing yards other than Bryce Young. And uh, his numbers are very, very comparable, if not better than all of the front runners for the Heisman Trophy. That's, That's how good he's been. Yeah, he's been unbelievable. That doesn't surprise me in the slightest. And it wasn't just the game against uh, – not Savannah State. I almost said Savannah State. The game against Arkansas. Looked Pine like them. <laughs> they did. They did look a lot like them. Oklahoma State could have gotten to 80 very easily uh, if they wanted to. Could have gotten to 100 if they wanted to. Here, here's one of my take on Spencer Sanders coming out of the non-conference and really coming off the season that he had last year, uh, which, you know, obviously wasn't off to the hot start that this was this year, but he closed the season incredibly strong. Like when Spencer Sanders got to Stillwater, right? We wanted to see him early. We didn't see him early because – comes in in year two and he's a young quarterback he's he's talented but he is just raw Carson I mean he is raw so many mistakes just doesn't always look super comfortable out there you can tell his confidence gets rattled whenever he makes a mistake and I feel like there was a segment of the fan base that that came out and Spencer Sanders played his first year or two in Stillwater and they made up their minds about Spencer Sanders they made up their minds this is what this guy is super talented but he's just going to make too many mistakes and that's what he is I've made my mind up We have a whole lot of new information and data on Spencer Sanders that tells us he is a phenomenal college quarterback. He was first team all big 12 a year ago, and he still hadn't reached his ceiling. It appears that he might actually be be on his trajectory to reach his full potential this season. And that's, that's all we ever asked of Spencer Sanders. We knew the talent was there. How do you harness it? And Mike Gundy kept talking about it for years and we didn't want to listen. He kept saying, look, he just needs more time. Look, he just needs more time. And, I think it is a testament to the coaching staff for trusting him for this long and for Spencer for putting in the work. If you go back and look at the guy he was three years ago and the guy he is today, that is a significant amount of growth that just doesn't happen if you're not committed to putting the work in and getting better. Uh, the talent is there, but he had to become a better quarterback. He had to become a smarter quarterback. He had to become a better leader, carry himself better on the field uh, after mistakes and things of that nature. And he's done all these things. So I really hope that, that some of these people who are still like, oh, I'm just waiting on the four turnover game. Look, if it happens, it happens, but that's football. And this guy has done everything that we hoped he would have done three years ago in the way that he has improved his game. So I've been remarkably impressed with the way he closed last season, the way he started this season. It just really feels like uh, a culmination of the Spencer Sanders talent that we all hoped that we would see. And, and now you're looking at a team that played in the Big 12 championship last game. Maybe if you don't have a couple of injuries, you win that game. A team that I think is very much on their way back to Arlington this year. And, you know, I picked them to win the, the conference before the season. Nothing happened in the non-con that would make me shy away from that. I still think Oklahoma State's going to win the conference. And I think Spencer Sanders is a big part of that. So just very, very impressed uh, with his overall development throughout his career at Oklahoma State. And I think you got to give Casey Dunn a lot of credit. He's putting him in positions yes. that he's comfortable in. The, the hurry up, he just thrives on that. And he likes to he likes to take deep shots. And that's that's something that Oklahoma State football has been built upon ever since Mike Gundy became the coach. And they they did that ad nauseum against 
uh, Arkansas Pine Bluff with a myriad of wide receivers. But uh, I do want to give Casey Dunn a lot of credit because we'll, we'll talk about Gunnar Gundy in a minute. But even when he came in, just it just seemed so simple, right? Like remember how remember how difficult their offense looked, Colby, when you and I first started doing this podcast, like together. Like, I tried. Everything to seemed hard. Every no receipt. Like the receivers couldn't get open. There weren't very many options to throw to. There weren't even that many receivers on the field. Every it just you could just almost see the weight of everything on Spencer's shoulders. And you just look at what Gunnar Gundy does when he gets out there and Spencer before him. They have so much skill talent at the receiver position. It almost seems easy, but it's not. I think the schemes and, and the play calling and the the, the opportunities to go fast. You have to give Casey Dunn credit because he looks like a completely different offensive coordinator this year. I don't know what's been going on. Maybe they just didn't trust the offensive line that we've already harped on. But, man, this is this is everything I've been wanting to see for the last two or three years. And, and I think you got to give Casey Dunn a lot of credit because, let's face it, he deserved a lot of blame last year and, and the year before just uh, the way the offense was, was going. No, that's a great point. And then you're talking about how difficult the offense looked when we started doing this. I mean, I remember, Carson, 10 yards felt like a lot. And a false start penalty, that meant punt. You false start on first, you can't get 15. 15? And you only get three downs to get 15? It felt insurmountable, Carson, two, three years ago. And now it's like, eh, no big deal. Ah, holding first and 20. Ah, we'll pick it up. 15 to Presley, another 10 to Braden Johnson. Both Dominic Richardson up the middle. It looks so much easier. It looks so much more smooth. Uh, yes, Carson, I have tried to forget some of those offenses because, I mean, there were times – where I'm telling you, 10 just seemed insurmountable at times. And it's, I'm glad that we're no longer living in that world. You know how many games last year that Spencer didn't throw for 200 yards? That he didn't throw for 200? Did not. Yeah, take a guess. I'd guess, I don't know, four or five? Six. Ooh, that's half the season. 173 against Tulsa, 82 against Boise, 182 against Baylor, 178 Whoa. against Texas. 157 against Kansas, 182 against West Virginia. The I win mean, against Boise was a miracle, right? The win against Boise was a miracle. It was a gift from the football gods. That one was a lot like, to me, the the game in Austin where Gundy was running the veer with JW and punting, like wanting to punt on third down, and the punter just, like, dropped the football. Like, it was against, like, all odds that they won that game. Yep. But, yeah, you're, you're right. Without Jalen Warren – I mean, Jalen Warren practically won that game on his own on offense that year. Yeah, he did. And then uh, was it Jason Taylor maybe that blocked the field goal? I can't remember who it was that blocked the field goal. I think it was Taylor, but I could be wrong on that. Uh, yeah, I can't believe that they won that game. I can't believe – gosh, just looking back at those offenses. You said 82 yards against Boise State. That is uh, – He threw 13 passes. That's, that's, that's where this wow. offense was. That's why coming into that game, I was having severe thoughts of where this program was heading because we, we didn't know they ended up having one of the best defenses they've ever had at that point. Uh, the offense could just try to survive against Tulsa. And coming into that game, I was wondering, where is this program going to go? I mean, they have no chance on offense. And all of a sudden, Jalen Warren turns into what he was. And then, you know, by the end of the year, they're, they're humming as one of the best offenses in the country against Notre Dame. Yeah, it's amazing the turnaround that they made. And that's what injuries can do, right, for a school like Oklahoma State. We talk about it all the time. Uh, I mean, a school like Oklahoma State, you lose a couple guys on the line, you lose a D lineman, a couple of linebackers. 
the depth just it's not Alabama, Georgia, some of these other schools. It's not that. Oklahoma State's always had a really good first wave, but you lose guys in football. You you lose a lot of guys throughout the season. Oklahoma State has struggled to deal with that. It seems like more depth is being built. Uh, and it just seems like the consistency there. And I'll say this, Carson, for the non-conference, you it you didn't go out and take down any world beaters, nothing like that. But you, you got reps for some young guys, which is always good. You want to get the young guys reps. And I, I think the coaching staff managed the non-con incredibly well, balancing, let's go out, let's win these games, let's keep everybody healthy, get the young guys reps. I, I just – no major injuries off the top of my head. I mean, obviously, Jaden Bray, but that was a practice deal. Hopefully, he makes it back. You don't get guys hurt. You, you got the young guys out there. You took care of business pretty stress-free. I mean, you, you let Arizona State by a field goal early in the fourth quarter, but that's kind of good. Your team gets a little adversity and overcomes it and wins that game. I just – I really thought the coaching staff handled the non-conference uh, incredibly well, and I'm just – yeah, I'm very optimistic coming out of the non-con. I'm, I'm kind of bummed that it's a bye week this week because I feel like there's some momentum and, and everything's rolling and everything's uh, kind of just like a well-oiled machine right now, but take a week off, uh, let everybody else go run into each other. And then hopefully you're ready to go next week in Waco. Yeah. It's, it's basically like having two weeks off. Cause let's face it, Arkansas Pine Bluff was a week off, but um, it's not ideal. You don't get to pick your bye week uh, I don't, I don't like it, but there's, there's not much you can do about it. What do you, you think of Gunnar Gundy? Is our real, our, our first real look at him and extended look at him at, at the quarterback position? Uh, what do you think of uh, Gunnar Gundy his performance? Uh, first things first on Gunnar Gundy, Carson. Do you remember what I set the over under at for Gunnar Gundy passing yards last week? Well, the, the Twitter question was like two fifty and three touchdowns. I think you said what one fifty. I said 130 was the over-under on Gunnar Gundy passing yards. He came in at 128. So I just wanted to pat myself on the back because that, that's a pretty good guess. Uh, wow. Yeah, I, I, I watched the highlights on Gunnar. We were in Branson with uh, my wife's parents this weekend. So I watched the first half live, second half uh, on highlights, saw the touchdown throw to Taylor Shedder. I mean, I, I thought he looked good. Uh, I covered Gundy a little bit in high school. Uh, a couple times when I was doing Southmore games, they ran up against Stillwater. So I got to see him some with some of those really good uh, Stillwater high teams that he quarterbacked. Yeah, I, I thought it was good to see him out there. It's it's a cool story, right? I mean, Mike Gundy's son being the backup, getting able, being able to get out there, throw a touchdown pass in an Oklahoma State uniform. Uh, I thought it was very cool. I'm sure it's very special for that family. And it's what Gunnar Gundy wanted, right? I mean, he, he bet on himself. He wanted to walk on at Oklahoma State uh, and hopefully at some point work his way out onto the field. I know it was in the second half of a game against an FCS opponent, some in the second quarter as well. But, you know, you take your opportunities, get out there, do what you can do. You just never know, Carson. We talked earlier about Spencer Sanders taking some hits and stuff. Uh, he's missed a game or two here and there uh, just about every year. So you just never know when you're going to need that guy. And it, it's it's hard to evaluate talent when you're playing in Arkansas Pine Bluff. But I thought he came out and did what he needed to do. And, and I thought it was really cool just to see him out there. For me, it's becoming far less of, you know, cool story, coach's son. And to me, the kid can play. I mean, I was I was very impressed with his debut. Now it is Arkansas Pine Bluff, all the caveats, we all know this, but I think what we saw was a clear, you know, for, for all to see the clear reason he won the backup job. You juxtapose his performance when to, to Garrett Rangel, when he came in, the offense looked way different with Rangel at quarterback. It looked seamless pretty much with, with Gunnar Gundy back there. And I do think, the deep ball needs some work. That would be a concern for me if Spencer were to, to exit the game and, and Gunnar Gundy had to throw some deep balls. The deep ball was kind of off. 
But man, just the quick release, uh, getting the ball into space to guys uh, running free. I thought he ran the offense very well and just moved the offense right down the field the way Spencer was. And I think it was a, a clear, clear case of evidence of why he is the backup quarterback. And I hate to keep making, you know, lofty comparisons on this podcast. I'm kind of making it too much of a habit, but I, I kind of see like if Spencer were to go out, I can see this offense operating very, very much like, do you remember the Chase Daniel offenses at Missouri? Whoa. He, reminded, he reminded me so much. Now, not probably not as good, obviously. They were like one of the best offenses in the country. Just in terms of the, the look and, and style of it is what I mean. You know, Gunner's not – Chase Daniel wasn't a great deep ball thrower, but, man, he, he knew where to put it, and he had guys – he had run four or five wide receivers running wide open. I can – and a lot of it's – a lot of it hinges on the, the quick throw game. And I think I could see them kind of going a little bit more Texas techie with, with Gunner Gundy back there, just spreading you out and letting them pick you apart, dinking and dunking it down the field. I, that's kind of who he reminded me of because he could also run. Chase Daniel could run at Missouri. He wasn't a Spencer Sanders by any means, but when, when the pocket breaks down, he was always able to scramble for first downs. And Gunner ends up running for 42 yards. Now he took, he took a couple of big shots. I think he's been watching Spencer too much on, on that. And he even slid one time a little too late and the guy almost took his head off. Uh, that, that won't last in, in big 12 play if he does that. But I was very, very impressed with Gunner Gundy, despite who he was playing against. Yeah, I mean, I think he can definitely throw it around a little bit. And uh, obviously, all the praise that we've heaped on Spencer, you hope that he stays out there. But you do hope that if he were to go out and miss one or two games, because Carson, one or two games in college football, you lose Spencer Sanders. Uh, let's see, what, what's Oklahoma State's schedule coming up? You've got Baylor, Iowa State. Uh, who's the week before Texas? Kansas, maybe. I mean, you lose your quarterback for two weeks in conference play. Oklahoma State doesn't have any buys coming up. Two weeks, that could be the difference in a successful season and a season that is a complete and abject failure. And, and, that matters. Your backup quarterback matters. So hopefully Gunnar Gundy is good enough that if Spencer were to miss one week with a rolled ankle, two weeks, something like that, hopefully Gunnar's good enough to come in and win those games. And I think that there's reason for optimism uh, that he could be that guy, a good, solid backup. H have I seen enough to think, you know, in, in a year or two, he could be the future of the program uh, and a star in the Big 12? No idea. Have not seen enough. But I think we've seen enough to be cautiously optimistic that if Spencer were to miss a game or two, that he could go out there and do enough manage it get it around uh and, and do enough to win those games and hopefully it doesn't come to that but again spencer runs a lot and no buys coming after you go to waco you play nine straight uh if you get the big 12 championship game that is 10 straight weeks that you're going to be playing football and if spencer misses even one of those you need gunder gundy to be ready so i'm glad he was able to get in there and get some reps and i agree i think he looked pretty good what do you think of the pass catchers i mean just when i think that this receiver room is just one of the most loaded in the country, just another week, another dude stepping up that you're like, wait, they got that guy too. They got this guy coming off the bench. that hadn't played at all. Dude, this Stefan Johnson looked, <laughs> looked really damn good. I mean, he had four catches, 55 yards. It's nothing to like, you know, get overly excited about, but he just looks the part. He's, he was a very highly recruited receiver too. He's been lost in the shuffle a little bit. But I thought he came in and, and built quick rapport with Gunnar Gundy. And just Colby is just another example, like, as excited as I am about the, the structure of the offense and the way it looks, like, I'm, I'm equally as excited, just the talent. That's before we even get to the Ollie Gordons of the, on the roster. Uh, but you got this Stephon Johnson stepping up amidst, you know, Braden Johnson, who looked amazing. Brennan Presley doing Brennan things. John Paul Richardson's, as I said 
uh, prior podcasts that he's becoming a star. He's not just some, you know, little slot role player that you can hopefully, you know, get a first down to. He, he's making dudes miss and scoring touchdowns. I mean, that, their skill talent, Colby, is just – and they're young, and that's even more exciting. Their skill talent's loaded, and it's very young. Carson, I remember we were doing these podcasts, and we were talking – so concerned about what the skill player rooms were going to look like whenever some of those really good players. I mean, you remember whenever Chuba and Tylen left? I mean, Chuba and Tylen left, and it's like, now what? And then, you know, looks pretty good. Jalen Warren steps up, Tay Martin steps up, and then it's like, now what? And now we're sitting here three games into the season, Carson, with an absolute plethora of talent at all the skill positions to the point, Carson, where I don't know how the coaches – realistically decide who gets some of these snaps when a guy goes down, whenever you need other guys to come in. I mean, I'm sure that that stuff is figured out in practice, but there are so many guys, I think at both running back and receiver who are good enough and who deserve snaps and deserve to be out on the field. There are only so many snaps to go around. You can only put 11 guys out there at a time uh, and only five of those can be pass catchers. It, it looks really good. I'm very optimistic about the skill talent, not just this year, Carson. A lot of these guys are young. I mean, we're talking about young, young guys where I think we could be back uh, to a series of, I, I don't know, three, four, five years of really exciting offense in Stillwater where you've got playmakers all over the field, running back and receiver, Carson. I, I am bullish on the skill players for this team because I think that they are deeper at those positions. I mean, two, three, four deep at running back with really good talent. And I think that they're five, six, seven, eight deep with really good talent at receiver and I, I don't know it's just I'm very impressed with what the coaching staff has done this is not you don't just wake up overnight and, and just show up to work and have all this talent this is years of work that they've put in to go out and get these guys get guys that fit their system uh, and develop them develop them whenever they get to campus so man just so so impressed with the the depth of talent at the skill positions Alan Shetron do anything for you uh, he does a lot for me Carson a lot and look Boy. I get it there's true freshmen, and we just talked. We just talked about Carson. I just said out loud. I don't know how you decide who gets the touches and who doesn't. And I get it. True freshmen who are who are good are not going to take the field against sophomores, juniors, and seniors who have been really good and, and have been great this season. But man, are there some true freshmen on this team who need to touch the football? I just don't know where the touches come from. Yeah, I mean that's a good problem to have. But my goodness, she put Shetron outside with Braden Johnson, Brennan Presley, uh, and John Paul Richardson, like. That's before I even get to the Green brothers. Uh, you know, one of them's hurt, obviously. Oh, boy. I mean, they, they got some dudes at wide receiver. And speaking of dudes, I tell you what, Dominic Richardson is still the starting running back, and he should be. I, th I think he looks really good catching the ball out of the backfield as well. But Ollie Gordon is special. I mean, that looked different him turning the corner on the edge, going off tackle and taking it to the house. Like this kid is physically gifted and he is a special running back. Will he be a freshman all America? I, I have no idea. I don't know how, I don't know how his season's going to play out. I just know there's going to come a game this year where, where Dom Richardson gets nicked up and Ollie Gordon's going to go off. Ollie Gordon's going to explode. And it might be hard to get, get the job back if that guy gets, a real long runway of carries. If he gets 18 to 20 carries, I I don't know what to set the over-under at, but it would be high for me as to, as to what he would end up with. 
Yeah, I think that he'll start to get some more usage throughout the season. Again, I think that the staff is going to try to manage the backfield in a way that Dominic Richardson can be your horse, but you're not getting into a situation where he's too physically beat up to carry the ball in November because we've seen that with workhorse running backs at Oklahoma State where you get to November and it's like, I mean, these guys have been nine games in a row of 24 touches and they're just getting beat to hell and it's hard to get out there and keep running at the same speed and bouncing off tacklers in November the way you were in September, but I, I even think Jaden Nixon has looked really good, but I agree with you, Carson. I think Ollie Gordon, th- there's just something different about his first step, about his quickness, about his speed, uh, and he just looks like he's a hard guy to bring down. I think he is the next guy at running back for Oklahoma State. But I, I, to- I don't totally mind uh, him being a, a complimentary piece as he works his way in this first half of the season or so. I, I do think maybe late October and into November, I think that he'll start to get some more touches uh, as you continue to preserve uh, Dominic Richards and not want to get him too worn down because, I mean, look, again, having this this plethora of talent with this multitude of guys, it's a good problem to have because you can keep them all a little bit more fresh. I, I think if we're in a situation in November where your running backs are getting, let's call it 25 carries a game, uh, I think if, I don't know, I'm, I'm just off the top of my head, if, if Dominic Richardson gets... 12 of those 25, so he gets about half of them, and then Ollie Gordon gets eight of those 25, and then Jaden Nixon gets five. I think that you're keeping all those guys fresh. I think you're hitting the defense with a couple of different looks, uh, and I think that that bodes really well for the running back room. So we'll see how it actually plays out throughout the season, but I think you've got three guys you can rely on, uh, but I agree. Ollie Gordon is special, and uh, my, 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 to think what he might look like in 2023 or 2024. Yeah, I'm I'm, I've been bullish on him since he signed. I was bullish on him in camp, and uh, I see no reason not to be even more bullish after seeing him uh, take that touchdown to the house. He's, he's going to have a chance to be one of the better running backs to come through Stillwater. That's, that's just the way I see it, and I, I can't wait to see him get more opportunities. And, but you're right. like n- Nobody runs a bell cow running back 30 times, 25 times a game anymore. It's just not the way the sport's built this, these days. Alabama doesn't even do that. So now it's they're going to need everybody in that room, and it's it's great to have Dom Richardson, uh, Jaden Nixon, and and Ollie Gordon uh, playing some running back. What do you think of the defense? Obviously, you know, not not a huge test at all with with Arkansas Pine Bluff. I, th- I thought they were put in a bad spot by the offense a couple times and really responded well. But the overall is a pr- pretty solid performance. Any any uh, takeaways from you on the on the defense? Yeah, I mean, didn't think too much of it. Uh, I mean, you look at those guys up front. Those guys just continue to look like monsters, and they look even a little more monstrous against Arkansas Pine Bluff. Uh, I mean, Trace Ford, it just looks like nobody wants to or even can stay in front of the guy. He can go around you. He can run you over. Colin Oliver's too fast. Tyler Lacey's too big. Uh, I learned this weekend on the broadcast that Sione Ossie's 26. Didn't know that. Uh, A couple of guys on that defensive line are 23, 24, 26 years old. I mean, these are grown men, Carson, and they they look it. These are grown Grown men, you've got a bunch of grown men, and then Colin Oliver and Trace Ford are your young guys. Those are your pups, your twenty-year-old, your twenty-year-olds coming off the edge, uh, and then you've got guys in their mid-twenties in the center, just just eating up space, and you want nothing to do with any of them. So, uh, yeah, don't don't take a ton uh, away from the defensive performance against Arkansas Pine Bluff because you're just going to be so much physically better. But I think it just makes you shine even that much more physically uh, whenever you're up against a team like Pine Bluff because those dudes up front. They're different, Carson. They're different. They're the reason before the season I said Oklahoma State was going to win the conference. The the elite offense has been a bonus for me. Uh, but, yeah, if you ask me again today, September 19th, who wins the Big 12 this year, I think it's Oklahoma State. And I think that those – I mean, I could probably rattle off six guys on that defensive front that I think are going to be a huge part of it. 
Yeah, D line did what they do. They were they were dominant, and I, I'm really encouraged by the linebacking play, uh, particularly Mason Cobb, four tackles, uh, two and a, uh, a sack, two and a half tackles for loss. He's got six tackles for loss through three games. He just flies to the football, and, and the announcers can't stop talking about him because he's he's always where the football is. And you know that was obviously one of the biggest questions by far on the entire team was how they're going to replace two NFL linebackers. Well, I really think Mason Cobb has played the part, looks the part, and uh, he, he really impressed me against Pine Bluff and really has through the non-conference portion of play. Yeah, he's looked really good. He he could be a star. He, he's playing really fast, Carson, for a guy who hasn't been out there a ton. He's playing very fast. He's getting to the ball. And I think that you're seeing – I mean, he, he was learning. He was paying attention. When Malcolm Rodriguez and Devin Harper were out there doing their thing, he was paying attention, uh, and he looks like it. I, I, I like him. I like him moving forward. I, I don't know, uh, you know, Xavier Benson, you know, some missed tackles and stuff, that other linebacker position. Uh, I, I still think Benson can be a really good player, but my optimism isn't nearly as high as it is with Mason Cobb. He's just a really good player, and uh, he was a recruit, got talked about a lot. I think he was coming out of Utah, three-star, high three-star coming out of Utah, uh, and I remember it was, it was kind of a big deal when Oklahoma State got him. Like, this kid can play. This kid has some athleticism, uh, and he's flashing it early. Let's see what it looks like in conference play. I'm, I'm excited to see what he looks like against Baylor, uh, against some of the better teams in, in the conference, you know, OU, Kansas, those, those type of schools. Uh, yeah, looking forward to it. I want to nitpick a tad. Can I, can I nitpick? Can I nitpick? I, I don't know. Do, do we need to nitpick? Can I pick some nits on the I, All right. Nit, pick some nits and let's see where you're going with it. Through three games and it happened again against Arkansas Pine Bluff. Just a, a slight picking of nits. Uh, Receivers get behind the defense, like, cleared in every game. Arkansas Pine Bluff receiver runs by everybody. He's got nothing but him in the end zone in between him, and the, the ball hits his shoulder pad. Um, that was a funny play. Am I concerned about it against Arkansas Pine Bluff? No. Am I concerned about it for the rest of the season? Yes. Um, should I be worried, Colby, about the defense getting, getting burnt against some of the better teams in the league? Uh, I guess it depends on what you mean by worried. Like, is that going to happen once or twice against OU? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, there, there's definitely a chance of that. You know, Quinn Ewers might come back. Is is Texas going to get the uh, – what is it, Xavier Ross, I think his name is, behind the secondary once or twice? Maybe. Worthy. Yeah, Xavier Worthy. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, that stuff can happen. It's definitely concerning. I, I feel like this defense still does enough really well that they can overcome one or two of those big mistakes throughout the game. I almost feel like Carson, this defense as a whole now reminds me a lot of Spencer Sanders younger in, in his career where it's like, okay, the talent is there and you can see that, but boy, if we could just avoid these two disaster plays a game, then we'll be in business. And those guys up front, they're going to do their job. That's not a concern for me at all. I'm very confident in that front unit, but I mean, yeah, those guys on the back end, I, I am concerned. They're young. They haven't played a ton of football together. You just hope that those mistakes don't come at the wrong time because to win conference championships, Carson, you know this, I know this, everybody listening knows this, you've got to win some one-score games in conference. You're going to have to beat somebody uh, 31 to 27 at some point. And, you know, you just hope that one of those big breakdowns doesn't bite you in the fourth quarter. Uh, you know, make your mistakes early, learn from them. But – 
yeah, I, I am a little bit worried about it, uh, but I'm optimistic that they'll continue to improve as the season goes on because I think that we've seen uh, pretty consistent improvement throughout the year from Oklahoma State defenses. Uh, and I like the, a lot of the things that Derek Mason has had to say, some of the stuff on OSU Max. Uh, one of our listeners uh, sent me a video the other day. Michael Atkins sent me a listener, a uh, buddy of mine, of him on OSU Max talking about, you know, watching the scoreboard and watching the stats and all that stuff. Look, go out, play defense, do the right things. Uh, I think they'll get better as the season goes on. So I'm, I'm worried about it, uh, but I'm not panicking about it, if that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. And the good news is if someone wants to throw a deep, the OSU defensive line is going to get some, some shots at the quarterback, which good things can happen there too. But it's just something I've noticed through three games, just – Something to, to file away for when they go down to Waco. So that, that was interesting. And we got to mention the special teams, Colby. I mean, how about this? First time in school history, they've scored touchdowns blocking uh, both a punt and a kick. And how about this as well? Uh, let's see here. OSU ranks second among all FBS teams with 30 block kicks since the beginning of 2013. They're now tied for first in the FBS and non-offensive touchdown since the beginning of the 2020 season with 11. Wow. For all the hate on special teams over the years, and you and I have had plenty, they are making some big plays in the, in the kicking game. Did you say 30 blocked kicks? 30 blocked kicks since the beginning of 2013. So what is that, like 20 for Vincent Taylor and then 10 for everybody else? Yeah, Taylor had most of those for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor was a monster at blocking field goals. He was an absolute beast. Still doing uh, it in the NFL. He did it for the Dolphins, I think, last year as well. Yeah, he's so good. He, I, I don't. I guess there's a skill to it. I don't know. I figured guys were just in there hitting each other, wildly flailing their arms up. But there's some sort of skill to it because Vincent Taylor had it just about mastered. He did it more often than anybody else did. Uh, yeah, that's cool. I mean, again, find non-traditional ways to score. You can win games that way. We've seen Oklahoma State win games with non-offensive touchdowns. Jason Taylor at Kansas State. Yeah, thank you very much for the non-offensive touchdowns. How about the blocked kick at Boise State last year? That's not a non-offensive touchdown, but that is blocking a kick in a big moment. That is the difference in winning and losing a football game because you got a fingertip on a field goal. Uh, yeah, very impressed with what Oklahoma State has been able to do in special teams. There, there were those a uh, couple of years where punt unit wasn't that great, and we were starting to kind of question a lot of things. I feel like a lot of that has rounded out, and Oklahoma State, I'm optimistic about special teams. Uh, Tanner Brown is doing a good job with the kicking. Tom Hutton is awesome. Uh, yeah, I, I'm very, very bullish on Oklahoma State not having special teams cost them a game at any point this season and potentially could win them a game because I think that they're going to be better than most of the teams that they play with those units. Well, and how about Trace Ford? He, he had like the trifecta. He not only blocks the punt, picks it up, has the wherewithal and time to point and smile at the student section as he's running the ball back for a touchdown, then scores the touchdown. Uh, for a guy that obviously has been through just horrible situation with multiple serious uh, knee injuries, uh, that was a great moment and a great way to really kind of blow the game wide open. Uh, yeah, it absolutely was. Trace Ford has been so, so impressive. I mean, you come back from an injury like that, you don't know what it's going to look like. You don't know how much the guy is going to trust it. He looks phenomenal. Uh, and it was a perfect amount of football in those first three games for him to get back out there, get his feet wet, make some plays. Uh, no, no further re-injuring or any type of risk of re-injuring anything. He has looked great, Carson. I am uh, I, I think we talked about him in the offseason, but we didn't know what he was going to look like after that injury. He looks phenomenal, and uh, that defensive line is just so, so good. You ready for Bullets and BBs? Absolutely. Let's do it. Uh, Bullet, Carson, I'll get us started. This is from OSU Stats and Info. 
this is just kind of a testament uh, to the coaching staff getting everybody through in the non-con. Oklahoma State leads the country right now. Carson, through three games in the non-conference, Oklahoma State has had 13 different players score a touchdown. That is a big, big number. Uh, I don't care who you're playing. 13 guys in three games have scored a touchdown. You've got almost five different guys a game getting into the end zone. Uh, that's great. I think it's great for your team, for those young guys to be scoring, a bunch of dudes just scoring. Uh, I think that, that just lifts everybody spirits it's good for those young guys uh so the coaching staff uh the young guys the veterans all of them just the non-conference was very impressive uh so that yeah getting my bullet there that's a good one uh i'm going with the defensive line you know so many questions about this defense with all the losses they've had due to transfers in the nfl uh they're tied for second in the country in tackles for loss i mean as much as i like to nitpick sometimes on things i didn't really like to see uh, you can't put that on the defensive line. They've been sensational, and they are going to be – if Oklahoma State wins the Big 12, they are going to be the reason why because so many of those close games with Oklahoma and Baylor comes down to that line of scrimmage. Uh, you're big fellas against ours, and who's going to win? And they're winning big time. I mean, they're tied for second in the country, and they're, they're, they've been as good as advertised and really help guys like Mason Cobb fly around and, and, and tackle the football. So uh, – Definitely want to give them a bullet because uh, they, they've earned it through three games and they did so again against uh, a hapless Arkansas Pine Bluff. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a really good one. Uh, Carson, my BB this week is going to go to none other than the Kansas State Wildcats because I'm fully prepared to rip the Big Ten. I know we're going to do that and they deserve it. But a little bit of our power was ripped from us by Kansas State, a team – the some expected to contend for the conference championship. I don't know where we had them, Carson. I think we had them in the four or five range, somewhere in that neighborhood. Loses at home to Tulane in a game where they only scored 10 points. They all came in the second quarter. They were shut out in quarters one, three, and four. Three of the four quarters, they didn't score at home against Tulane. That is an embarrassing home loss for Kansas State. It looks bad on the conference whenever we're all trying to sit here and rip the other conferences for some of the pathetic football that they're playing right now. You know, Adrian Martinez comes in. There's optimism around that program. And, look, conference play hasn't started. They can still win the Big 12. I don't know what happens going from here. But if they look that bad at home against Tulane, I don't like their chances. Kansas State's getting a big old fat BB for me today. It was going to be a banner day for the Big 12. You had the Big 10 just once again, week in, week out, making an absolute fool of themselves. Uh, Big 12 was performing very well everywhere else in case they had to let us down. What the hell? I have no idea what happened in that game. I didn't even see a highlight, but uh, that, that was disappointing. I think they were looking ahead to the OU game. They go to, they go to Norman this week. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's going to be fun. That's going to be a lot. That, you know what's going to happen, Carson? That game's going to mess around and be the one that ends up being close. Kansas State was overlooking Tulane or something last week. Uh, I never thought Nebraska had a chance to compete with Oklahoma. I think I picked OU to win by four touchdowns. I Weirdly, I feel like maybe Kansas State can because college football uh, is just organized chaos. Yeah, and they got a, they've got a good defense, and I'm still not convinced OU's offense is that great this year. So I think that game will be a lot closer than the uh, – and the point spread. Uh, did you happen to hear what former Texas Longhorn Emmanuel Acho had to say about the Big 12? Uh, I heard every last word of it. That man is an embarrassment. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna play the clip uh, for our listeners, and then I'll then I'll address it. 
It's easy to score in the Big 12 because nobody focuses on defense. Like we all know, fight fire with He said it's easy. It's, it's easy. easy to score. Okay. Okay. I'll be honest. Okay. When I was in the Big 12 in years after, it's easy to score points okay. in the Big 12. Nobody focuses on defense. But if you can be the coach that decides to focus on defense, you will be uniquely suited to win some games because of your defense. In the Big 12, we know offenses are going to go crazy, put mm -hmm. up 500 yards a game. But those few teams that say, you know what, we're going to pay special attention to defense, I think those are the ones that will rise to the top. Okay, Colby, uh, let me start here. He gets my BB. Um, you know, this happens some, a lot in sports media. You know, I, I worked in it for 13 years, and and I'm sure you at home, if even if you didn't do that, you can tell just watch on your couch. But it's so easy to tell when you're watching either an in-game analyst or a studio analyst. It's so easy to tell when they haven't done the work. It's easy to tell when guys like Emmanuel Acho just show up, put the mic on, go, oh, yeah, man, I played at Texas. I can just talk about – I can talk about anything. I, I know it I know it all, man. No, you, you clearly don't. You clearly don't put in the effort. You don't watch film. You don't even watch the games at all. You clearly don't even watch highlights, pay attention to stats, nothing. You just, you just use old narratives and talking points when you run out of information that you don't have in front of you. <laughs> This guy still thinks it's 2008, that it's just this high-flying, you know, Mike Leach is in the conference still. They just throw the football, score a ton of points, and there's no defense being played. Did he not watch Oklahoma State last year, who was right there with Georgia as the best defense in the country? Did he watch K-State? Did he, does he even watch the league? It's just when you listen to guys like Joel Klatt, I think Dusty Dvorak, you can tell he just grinds on film and knows these teams inside and out. Maybe that's the difference between calling a game. This Ocho guy, he's – He's hanging out with those blowhards over at Fox, like Cowherd and, and those guys. He, he clearly is not watching. And it's a disservice. It's a disservice to everyone involved, everyone watching. And in people like this is why the national narrative is what it is. People just don't pay attention to the Big 12. So they just they throw out these narratives and they become fact in a lot of people's eyes. I'm sure some of the people watching Emmanuel Acho that don't watch the Big 12 are like, yeah, he's, he's right. They don't play any defense over there. Well, wake up, dude. Like, I don't know what they're paying you, but <laughs> you ain't doing the job right because you're clearly not paying attention, let alone doing your job. And it's just – it's so aggravating. I remember it was a couple of years ago, Jim Mora gets up there. He starts talking about Utah as opposed to Oklahoma, and Utah's better because they tackle. They tackle at Utah. Well, clearly you're not – even watching the games like Utah wouldn't be able to hang in the, in the big 12. Cause you have no clue. So Emmanuel Acho, you get my BB for the week. That's a good one, Carson. And I'm kind of with you. I wouldn't care if I thought that everyone watching would just be like, Oh, what an idiot. But the problem is there's a lot of people out there watching who just, I mean, there's only so many hours in the day. I don't expect everybody from all around the country to constantly be watching the Big 12. I do expect the analysts who get paid to watch college football and talk about college football to know a little bit about what's going on in every conference around the country, especially at the Power 5 level. And when Emmanuel Acho says that, a lot of these people that aren't watching football around the country, they're going to look at it and they're going to say, yep, he's right. The Big 12 just doesn't care about defense. They just run wild out there, score 70 points a game against the best defense in the conference. There are a whole bunch of people who are going to watch that and think that. So I'm with you. I wouldn't care if I thought nobody was listening to it, but people are listening and there are going to be people who are going to think that the big 12 uh, is still living in 20, 2015, 2016. And that's just not the case. So uh, yeah, I found that very embarrassing from Acho and just a really, really bad look. Uh, and yeah, you, you had a great point. 
you can tell who prepares. You can tell who prepares, and you can tell who just shows up. Emmanuel Acho's a just-show-up guy. Absolutely. Uh, another thing I enjoyed over the weekend, Colby, just as the early slate of games were unfolding, I just kept getting tweet after tweet, and all it needed to include was the Big Ten scoreboard. <laughs> I mean, you want to talk about a conference living, not doing the work and living off false narratives. How can anyone trumpet the Big Ten anymore? I guess they'll, they'll just talk about Michigan or Ohio State and just ignore the fact that they are a terrible, horrible, unwatchable, stinky football conference. And I'm so glad that the rest of the country is finally waking up. It took them just completely disintegrating to dust, Colby, for people to wake up, open their eyes, look at the scores and be like, this, this conference stinks. They, they cannot throw the forward pass. You got Purdue losing to mighty Syracuse. You got Southern Illinois taking down Northwestern. You got Michigan State ranked 11th in the country as an underdog at Washington losing by double digits. You got Nebraska, which is, I think Arkansas Pine Bluff could give Nebraska a game these days. Uh, Colby, it's just, it's, it's a weekly event. Like the Big Ten, I don't want to hear any more about the Big Ten being the second best conference in the country. It's a total farce. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. Nebraska, to me, I think that they are the second worst Power 5 team in the country this year. The only team in the Power 5 that I think is worse than Nebraska is Colorado, both former Big 12 schools, which is a little bit poetic in its own right that they thought that they would be better off elsewhere. I think that they are the two absolute undisputed worst teams in the Power 5. Nebraska has fallen so far. They are such a shell of themselves, Carson. And I was watching, I I caught about a quarter of that game. Uh, Knew it wasn't going to be any good. Just threw it on while we were waiting to go to lunch. And I'm listening to the broadcast, and I just, you know, the tradition of college football, I get it, the history, all that stuff, what happened a long time ago matters to some people. I get that. But I'm watching this broadcast, and they're talking about Nebraska's history and everything they accomplished under Tom Osborne. And I hear one of the, the, the commentators, I think it was Klatt, say, you know, this fan base deserves a program that they can be proud of when they show up on Saturdays. I'm like, do they? Do they deserve that? They deserve it? Why? Because 30 years ago, they had a great head coach and a system that matched what everybody was doing in high school, and they were getting all the best players in, and now they're a joke. They're, they're, they're a clown college. They, uh, yeah, they're terrible. It's a disaster. Uh, you know, I, I know Casey Thompson is the local kid. We, we always use kid gloves with the local guys. He, he really bet on himself at Texas. Uh, it didn't work. He really bet on himself when he transferred to Nebraska. It's not working. He's probably one of those kids who could have been a star at North Texas or UTSA or somewhere like that. Look, sometimes you bet on yourself and and things don't go right. And not everything's gotten right. He's gotten in some weird quarterback situations behind some other guys at Texas. He transfers to Nebraska thinking, oh, you know, it was one score games every game last year. Maybe if they they get a better quarterback in there, uh, they can turn that around. But, I mean, he's kind of shown at this point that he's not that guy at the Power 5 level. I am blown away by what Nebraska has turned into uh, and by the fact that for some reason people nationally still want them to, to have this resurgence. Nebraska, it, it's it's not a brand anymore. It's just, it's a joke at this point, and it's a cruel joke to that fan base that people still want to talk about them like they are Nebraska because they are no longer Nebraska. They are now 2019 Kansas is what they are. Speaking of, the Big 12's really good, Colby. I mean, Rock Chuck! I mean, what Lance Leopold has done at Kansas 
I mean, this is like when Bill Snyder took over Kansas State. Like people, people that are too young don't remember. Like Kansas State was Kansas. They were by far the worst power five team in the country. They were barely a football program. They almost disbanded the football program. They may have at one point. I can't even remember. But uh, Lance Leopold is the real deal. I mean, their offense, Colby, is is really, really good. They're, they're like number one in efficiency. Uh, I don't think we can just chalk up a, a win a, a win against Kansas this year. They're they're way better than anyone could have possibly dreamed. And, I, and Colby, I thought rock bottom last week. I thought Nebraska hit rock bottom last week when they fired Scott Frost, lost to Georgia Southern. They're going to hit rock bottom this week when the Kansas head coach turns them down to be their coach. That that'll be rock bottom for Nebraska because this guy's this guy's amazing. Yeah, he absolutely is. If, if he's not already in the College Football Hall of Fame, I think he should be just from the fact that Kansas is 3-0. and And they're not 3-0 playing against Pine Bluff. They won at West Virginia last week, a game where they put up more than 50. Uh, they beat Houston this past week, a game in which they put up 48. I can't believe these are words that are about to come out of my mouth in 2022, Carson. If you think you're just going to walk into Lawrence and stumble out of there with a win without playing good football – You've got another thing coming. It's. I feel like I'm living in the bizarro world, Carson. You, you're going to have to play well to beat Kansas this year. I think that their offense is really talented. Now, do, do they finish, uh, you know, third, fourth, fifth in the conference? Probably not, but I don't think that they finished 10th in the conference either. I think that they've at least gotten themselves uh, into that 6-7 type conversation. I think Texas Tech is a worse football team. Uh, they already beat West Virginia in Morgantown, so that's, that's two that they're better than. Uh, and then TCU, Iowa State, probably coin flips. And, I mean, hell, we really don't know a ton about Kansas State. My, my perception of them changed. Uh, that happens when you lose on your home field to Tulane. So, uh, I don't know. I mean, maybe best case scenario, Kansas sneaks in there as a, a top half of the conference team uh, at number five, which would be a great story. God. And I'll, I'll be honest, I'm rooting I can't believe for we're them. talking about this, but you're right. I'm rooting for them. I think it's fun. Well, what's not going to be fun is Oklahoma State doing the, uh, the Sunflower Tour October 29th, they go to Kansas State. November 5th, they go to Kansas. Back-to-back road games in the state of Kansas. And I am way more concerned about November 5th in Lawrence, Kansas, than I ever would have possibly imagined. Probably probably more so than I ever have been as an, as an Oklahoma State alum. I mean, I, I didn't even look at when that game was this year. I just chalked it up as a W. But uh, Lance Leopold's really – he's getting it done. And, and again, the Big 12's good, like – Texas, that was an impressive win. I, I thought Texas was going to get beat. I definitely would have laid the points with, with UTSA. That was an impressive win coming off the, the perform against, performance against Alabama, considering that was a total trap spot. They got off to a slow start, one going away. And, uh, look, as bad as Nebraska is, OU's good. They're going to be a tough out. I mean, they're, they're so much better defensively. It's, it's kind of frightening. Uh, they're getting after the quarterback. They're number one in the country in tackles for loss, which – I know your defense hasn't gotten after the quarterback in, in seemingly a decade. And while I do think their offense is not nearly as good as it's been, their defense is much improved. So I, I think the Big 12 is really good. And I, we'll, we'll learn a lot more about Baylor uh, this week. But uh, that, that top three is it's, – it's wide open, man. It's a, it's a really good conference. And I hope national people start to realize it. Yeah, I feel like we do have a little bit more of a top two revealing itself with Oklahoma State uh, and Oklahoma. I could be wrong as we go forward. Uh, Oklahoma State, I think, actually played the better non-conference schedule. Uh, I don't even know if Nebraska was the the best team on OU's non-conference schedule. UTEP and Kent State, hell, I mean, Kent State played them uh, a lot closer and better than Nebraska did, which is more of a testament to Nebraska than than Oklahoma. I'm not trying to take anything away from their big win. That's just uh, how I'm feeling about Nebraska. No, I think they're a good football team. I I think that they probably have 
dipped a little bit offensively, gotten a little bit better defensively. They're still going to be good. Uh, I think right now, if anyone were to pick OU or OSU to win this conference for any reason, I don't think I could talk you out of it. Any other team in this conference, I, I could have some things to say. I could say, no, I think it's going to go wrong here, go wrong here. Uh, college football is unpredictable. I could be wrong whenever we're sitting here in nine, ten weeks. But I think OU and OSU have established themselves as the clear one and two in this conference. Uh, and, I mean, we might finally be headed – Carson for that Bedlam rematch in the Big 12 championship game, which, you know, would be a lot of fun for this state, a lot of fun for this conference. Uh, and just if that happens, man, that's going to be a stressful Saturday. What if that happens and OSU wins like 70 to nothing? Wouldn't that just prove once and for all Squinky only, had, only gets one chance against the Sooners? Uh, yeah, I think it would prove that Squinky maybe is not a nine live Squinky. Squinky maybe has fewer than nine lives. Uh, but yeah, I'd, don't get me wrong, Squinky still scares me, but I think these are the, the clear two best teams, and I, I actually really kind of hope that we get to watch them play twice because I think it's it's just more fun football. And can you imagine the atmosphere, Jerry World, if he had oh my God. for a Big 12 title? That would be, whew, that would be special. Um, it reminds me of, you know, that when the Big 12 basketball tournament, back when Blake Griffin was at OU, OSU played them in the, uh, the tournament. And that was one of the rare occasions I can remember where, Oh, there was a Bedlam game at a neutral site and lo and behold, it was in Oklahoma city of all places. So that was, or no, sorry. I guess that was, uh, that was Kansas city. What am I talking about? Um, so that was, that was crazy. And we might get to see the football version of that. Yeah. It'd be a lot of fun. It'd be like, again, stressful. Uh, and if you lose that game, it's going to hurt, but that's part of being a fan, right? The highs and the lows. Uh, if you're going to enjoy the good times, you, you have to accept the fact that it's going to hurt sometimes. So uh, can Oklahoma state is Oklahoma state capable of going two and O against OU in a season? I don't know if there ever was a team to do it. Maybe this is the year. Maybe so uh, honorable mention for BB for the pollsters for moving Oklahoma state down after winning uh, 63 to seven. Uh, and also BB for Michigan state still being ranked by the, uh, the coaches, the ranked 21st after just, you know, getting beat by double digits. And now they are, they're ranked 21st in the country, but they're underdogs at home to Minnesota. That should probably tell the coaches you have no idea what you're doing. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm way out on Michigan State still being right. The polls are so goofy, Carson. They don't make any sense. It's all totally subjective. It, it just feels like random voting based on what you're familiar with in college football. Also, uh, we have to throw this out here. Lions rookie linebacker Malcolm Rodriguez was pro football focus's highest graded run defender. Rodrigo! And pass rusher on the Lions in week two. So just on the Lions, he was the highest grade run defender and pass rusher second game of his NFL career. Uh, Dan Campbell actually looks like he might be turning things around there. They, it was a late backdoor cover, but, but they competed against Philly. Uh, and then they really ran Washington off the ball early uh, and won that game without too much stress at all. And Malcolm Rodriguez looks really good, Carson. I, we're only two weeks into the season, and I, I'm ready to say it out loud. You were right. I was wrong. Detroit was a good place for Malcolm. He looks good in the blue and silver, and maybe they've got a little something cooking. I think they do. And, like, I don't think the Lions' defense is very good. They're, it seems like they're going to be a team that's in a shootout every week. But Malcolm's going from feel-good story, wow, he made the team, wow, he might start to, like, this dude's, like, borderline becoming a star as a rookie. The, the first-team all-rookie? He could be first-team all-rookie. I mean, yeah, he didn't miss an assignment week one. He did everything you just listed in week two. Like, he's just learned how to play at this level. I mean, that's that's scary good. And it's kind of 
I'm sure Malcolm, one day, if he hasn't already, will sit back and just think about the good fortune of where he was drafted. Dan Campbell, uh, the perfect head coach for him, just happens to be the first season ever of Hard Knocks covering the Lions. Jerseys are selling out. Like, what an amazing journey he's already had just two games into his NFL life. I mean, <laughs> the stars have, have really aligned for him, and it, and it couldn't happen to a better dude. And, and I love seeing him rep the uh, – the, what I call the tumbleweed tuxedo, the cowboy hat tucked into the, the Wranglers and cowboy boots, his, his pregame outfits on point and uh, couldn't be happy for, uh, for an Oklahoma State Cowboy. He's, he's killing it. Yeah, I think you made a good point. It's the perfect storm with them being on Hard Knocks, too. Everybody got to see the personality. It made him much more of a household name uh, in the NFL. And it's he just did the, uh, He did the salsa after one of his yeah. plays. Like, and yeah. I guarantee you, people that don't even watch the Lions on a weekly basis, like, oh, yeah, there's, there's Rodrigo doing the salsa. I know him. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I think that that was big, uh, big, big, big for his brand. Because if you're not on hard knocks, I mean, you just go to training camp, you put in the work, whatever, and and nobody really notices uh, unless you come out and you're an actual star on the field. But you do it on hard knocks with a little personality. Now everybody's watching you. You're this rookie. You're exciting. It's fun. Uh, Yeah, perfect storm for Malcolm Rodriguez. And he has made the absolute most out of it. Like we knew he would, Carson. He was the hidden gem of college football. And the Lions wound up with him in the sixth round. Unbelievable. Pretty cool. Pretty damn cool. All right, Colby, anything else before we get out of here? Uh, Don't believe so. Another good week. Uh, Bye week. We doing Twitter questions later in the week, Carson, with being a bye week? Yeah, I think we should. Yeah, we can do some more, see how everybody's feeling, take the pulse of the fan base uh, after the non-con. So uh, appreciate everybody listening. We are back later in the week. As always, go Pokes.